Hello and welcome to Troy and the Trojan War. If you are one of my regular online listeners, this is going to be another syllabus lecture, so feel free to ignore it. If you are, in fact, in my Troy and the Trojan War class, this is exactly where you want to be here at the beginning of the semester. I'm Professor Kozlowski, as your various advising and registration materials should probably tell you at this point. Uh, I've been teaching at Montclair for the better part of six years right about now, which makes me feel really old, but that's how these things go, I suppose. Um, but I've only been teaching Troy and the Trojan War for a year now. Uh, last summer I did all the research, put together a syllabus, and I'm working on it. Uh, I taught it last semester with mixed results because it was a weird semester for me. Uh, but here we are, ready to teach it again. I'm excited. I hope you're excited, but let's talk about the big elephant in the room. Uh, this is an online course. All online. Uh, we will not at any point meet in person on campus. We will not be having, you know, the little, like, Zoom meetings or regular, I don't know, like, conferences of some kind. Uh, in all likelihood, we will not the, you know, you, the listener, and me, the professor, actually interact beyond some kind of online connection at any point this semester. Um, and it's been a while since I've taught a class with absolutely no synchronous component that is just purely asynchronous online. Um, and that makes things difficult. Uh, I, I should stress, like, yeah, I'm aware. Uh, this is This is a tough format to kind of wrap our brains around. Um, like, I know that as survivors of the COVID-19 pandemic, as people who were in high school or college during that process, you were probably very familiar uh, with online classes, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. But I should stress, yeah, as much as I've seen a lot of students very familiar with the online section, there are certain problems that just go along with that that are pretty much unavoidable. Um, there is that lack of communication tends to encourage students to blow off the class a bit more. Like, honestly, I'm a philosophy professor, and I'm kind of fascinated by the whole question of, you know, how is it that a whole bunch of students who are all possessed of free will and are all able to make their own decisions inevitably, like, statistically prove to be, you know, less responsible once you move a class online. Um, like, I'm fascinated by that question as a philosopher, but as a professor, it just annoys the living shit out of me. Um, and I should stress, like, as much as I am sympathetic to your plight as purely online students, uh, trying to get your grade, trying to get your degree, and, you know, not having a professor to interact with or engage with, as much as I am sympathetic to that plight, and I, too, have sat in that chair and, you know, blown off assignments because, like, I thought I had better things to do or nobody was, you know, keeping me honest... I'm the professor now, I'm sitting on this side of the screen, and I've got to hold you accountable. Um, so let me stress just from the outset, yeah, this is going to be an, out, an online course. We are going to not have any face-to-face -face interactions unless you, like, go out of your way to do it. Uh, but I'm going to hold you responsible for the exact same stuff I would hold my on-campus students responsible. Like, there is one major shift to the curriculum moving from my online-slash-hybrid section last semester to this semester's all-online format, and that's the discussion boards. Which, yeah, I know, boo, discussion boards, those are the worst, I hate them, I hated them as a student, I hate them as a professor, um, I'm going to try and fix them with a sort of experimental approach this semester. We'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, that that's it. Like, it's the same papers, it's the same quizzes, it's the same lectures, it's the same material, it's the same books. 
Um, all of that is the same, and you will be held responsible for it the same way that my students were held responsible for it. The only advantage slash disadvantage you have is you can, if you want, do the discussion boards to bring your grade up, since there is no attendance or participation grade, since we're never going to meet. Um, moving on, because I know, again, we've all dealt with online courses at this point. Um, again, I'm Professor Kozlowski. I teach in the Humanities Department here at Montclair. Uh, I've, again, been doing this for several years now. Drawing the Trojan War is fairly new to me, but the rest of this stuff is pretty common, and I've learned a whole lot about Homer in the past year, so... Hopefully I'll be able to help you learn a whole lot about Homer as well. Um, that's kind of the spoiler alert here, though. As much as this is a class about, quote, Troy and the Trojan War, we're going to spend most of the time talking about Homer. Um, the deep, dark secret of the whole business of Troy and the Trojan War is that they might not exist... Like, most academics are pretty convinced that Troy existed, and that we can even pin down its location to a particular place in Turkey, which, cool, that's great. Um, but as for the Trojan War, that one is very much up in the air. Like, as much as we are all somewhat familiar with the Iliad, the Odyssey, we know the story of Achilles beating the crap out of the Trojans and, you know, winning the Trojan War for the Greeks, most academics, most scholars, aren't convinced that the Trojan War was actually a historical event, or looked at all the way that Homer talks about it. Um, so, as a consequence, this class has the unique distinction of being about a potentially fictional event, and treating it as though it was historically accurate, or archaeological, archaeologically informative, or any of that stuff. Um, and I want to kind of stress that at the outset. What makes the Trojan War so interesting is not whether or not it existed. It's the fact that regardless of whether or not it existed, it has exerted this really profound influence on the entirety of Western culture and history for millennia. Um, like, if in fact the Trojan War happened, it was probably somewhere around 1200 B.C. And then Homer probably wrote the Iliad, the Odyssey, somewhere around 700 or 800 B.C., and then we've been talking about it for literally 2,800 years. Like, thousands of years have transpired between the time that this was supposed to have happened and now, and yet somehow so much of our culture is built on this fiction, this imaginary or at least partially imaginary event, and yet we hold it frequently to be gospel. Um... Generation after generation, culture after culture, nation after nation has pointed to the Trojan War and said, yes, that happened, that was the most important thing that happened in the generation of secular power, authority, you know, political significance, monarchies, you name it. Like, we will see all the way into the 14th and 15th centuries, you've got, like, England pointing to the Trojan War and saying, why am I king? Well, because that guy survived the Trojan War and was king, and I am his direct descendant. Like, it's insane in some sense that this thing that may not have happened turns out to be this important. Um, but as a consequence of it may not have happened, and the fact that the history books are largely pretty quiet on the subject, unless they're mixed up with their mythology, that's what makes Homer so crucial for this class. We are going to talk about the actual archaeological data, the history surrounding the Trojan War, the archaeology that suggests what the cultures were like in the time of the Trojan War. We'll talk about what Homer got right and what Homer got wrong. But most of this class is going to be devoted to, one, 
reading Homer, surprise, you know, we're going to read the Iliad start to finish and most of the, well, a chunk of the Odyssey at any rate. Um, but we're also going to talk about the legacy here. Um, what other cultures do with Homer. What the Greeks think about Homer and how they sort of take him from being this one-off epic poet to being the cornerstone of their entire cultural inheritance. And then what the Romans do with Homer, how they sort of wrestle with their identity and relationship to Homer, and then how the medievals and the Christians understand Homer. Like, that's what this class is really about at the end of the day. If you were hoping to get the beat-by-beat -beat construction of the Trojan horse and, you know, the actual, like, what did warfare in, you know, the Trojan War actually look like, to some degree you will get that, and we will talk about that. But that's kind of minor compared to the literary history and the legacy of, specifically, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey and the way that he depicts and discusses this Trojan War. Um, that's what this class is. And I, I want to kind of stress that because a lot of students come into this class thinking they're going to learn about, you know, Troy and the Trojan War as though it was this major historical event, you know, the way that you take a class on, like, Napoleon or on, you know, the Hundred Years' War or something. Um, and that's kind of not what you get. So a lot of students are a little surprised by this. So now is your opportunity. Contact your advisor. Tell them that you want an actual history course or an actual classics course. Now is your chance because Professor Kozlowski is going to spend a lot of time just reading books, talking about books, and emphasizing that this thing may not have actually happened. Um, I should also stress, while you are contacting your advisor about how you don't want to take this course anymore, that I, this is not really my specialty. Um, like I said, I'm a philosophy student by trade. Uh, that's what most of my degrees are in. I did study classics because understanding Greek is kind of important to understanding philosophy, since so many of the foundational philosophers are ancient Greeks, like Plato and Aristotle. Um, but I really didn't study Homer extensively at any point in my college career. Like, I took one course when I was an undergrad and kind of fell into this at Montclair and have gradually been like expanding my knowledge base as we've gone. Um, so on the one hand, that means that I'm going to come at it from a position closer to you than most of the other professors who teach this. Namely, I am an outsider to the study of classics, to archaeology, and to all of this, you know, classical literature stuff. Um, and as a consequence, I will probably be more understandable, but I'm also going to miss a lot. Um, and I apologize for that. Like, I am, in fact, learning this material. I have been reading, like, nothing but Troy and the Trojan War stuff for the better part of the last year. I have, like, read our Cambridge Companion to Homer cover to cover and done a whole lot of research on a whole lot of the topics, especially if they interested me. Like, I spent something like months just researching nothing but the Trojan epic cycle because I'm that nerd. Um... But yeah, this is not my field of expertise. So if you ask questions in this class, if you have, you know, big issues that you want to discuss, there's a decent possibility that I'm going to, like, throw out my hand, shrug my shoulders, and say, hey, I have no idea, here are some books, go track them down. Um, but on the other hand, again, if you're just trying to figure out what the deal is with Homer and his importance in the literary canon, I can totally help you there. Um, I can totally help you read through the Iliad and understand it from a very straightforward perspective. I can totally talk about all of the nuances and all the themes and all the stuff that was taken away by future cultures. That stuff is totally in my wheelhouse. Um, 
because the boundaries between literature and philosophy get pretty thin throughout most of the ancient medieval world, and that was something I was very much studying diligently. So bumping into the Trojan War has happened pretty frequently for me in my study. Um, but that said, let's get off this sort of vague, abstract discussion and talk about the actual concrete responsibilities and stuff you need to know in order to actually take and do this class. Um, and with that in mind, we should start with the textbooks. The textbooks are pretty straightforward in this course. Um, we've got three primary text textbooks and one that is very much secondary and commentary. Um, the secondary textbook that we're going to be using and that we're going to be using a lot in this course is the Cambridge Companion to Homer, which is awesome. Um, like, I poked around quite a few different textbooks when I was preparing my class, and then when I stumbled across this one, I was like, well, this is a no-brainer, this is clearly what I'm going to teach. Um, the great thing about the Cambridge Companion to Homer is that it is basically just a giant pile of essays about Homer, the Iliad, the Odyssey, the context, the culture, ancient Greece, the way that Homer is received in different cultures. Like, it's got a little of everything, but only a little. Um, all of these essays are summary. They're not the hardcore like, crazily well-researched stuff that, you know, makes or breaks different ideas in academia. Um, this is not where you go to do, like, hardcore research on any of the topics that are being discussed here. But what it does offer is a great sort of thumbnail sketch of every issue in the study of Homer, be it the structural and syntactical things, like how is the Iliad structured, how do the lines work, what is the, you know, scheme by which each line is composed, how do the, the epithets, the, the sort of formulas, repeat over and over again, as well as, like, who was Homer, what is his deal, um, what was his culture like, how does he relate to the other epic traditions at the time, how does he relate to the oral tradition, was the Iliad initially composed orally and then moved to text, or vice versa, um, like, all of these questions, you're going to get little tiny articles with little tiny snapshots at them, and we'll be reading a ton of them over the course of this class, especially at the second half of the semester after we get through the actual Iliad itself. Um, we're going to start with this book as a sort of like primer to understanding the Iliad, and then we're going to be very much following up the Iliad and the Odyssey with readings from here. Um, so we're going to be in this book a lot. But what's more, one of the things that I find the most useful about this book has virtually nothing to do with the actual articles themselves, but the fact that every one of these articles has a wonderful little annotated bibliography at the end where the author specifically writes, here are all of the cool, important articles that I referred to in the composition of my work. If you, in fact, want to know more about this fiddly little detail of Homeric studies, or if you want to know more about these particular ideas, go check out this book, this article, this publication, this periodical, whatever. So feel free to poke through that further reading section. Like, especially when you were thinking about preparing that research paper, which we'll talk about, um, this is absolutely your one-stop shop for finding excellent resources online very quickly and easily without having to, you know, sift through a whole bunch of, like, databases and Google searches and trying to find something that's relevant. Um, this book is your best friend when it comes to research and when it comes to learning more about Homer. This is definitely 
why I used it in this class and why I studied it as hard as I did when I was preparing this class. Like, you better believe every time that I found some subject that I was like, I want to know more about that, the first thing I did was turn to the relevant article in the Cambridge Companion to Homer, track down the articles that seemed especially relevant to what I was talking about, read them, and proceeded on. Um, it is a great tool. So I highly recommend that you get it, largely because you're not going to be able to find a lot of these articles elsewhere. I think there are a couple of free PDFs online if you have no scruples about such things. Um, but generally, we're going to be spending a lot of time in this book. It's a pretty easy 30 bucks, I think, to pick up uh, from the school store or from Amazon. So by all means, get it, and we'll be in it pretty quickly. Like I think our first reading assignment next week is from this book, um, although I do have an alternative resource on that one. Um, the big book that we're going to be spending the most time in, though, is the actual Iliad of Homer. Um, I use Stanley Lombardo's translations in my classes, largely because they're really super accessible. Um, this is the, the translation that I used when I was reading Iliad and the Odyssey for the first time in my undergraduate course. Um, and what I find so great about Stanley Lombardo is that his translation is so immediate. Um, he does not dicker around with this sort of epic register, this idea that, like, because Homer was writing in this, you know, old-fashioned kind of register that, you know, the Greeks would have understood this as being removed from time and old-timey sounding, Lombardo's like, no, at least once in this lifespan of this oral tradition, it is almost certainly the case that people heard this as immediate and heard this as, like, directly relevant to their own language, to the way that they spoke at the time, and we should be able to appreciate it on that level as well. So, as a consequence, you're going to have passages where, like, Agamemnon and Achilles, the great heroes of the Trojan War, just start, like, swearing at each other and calling each other names. Um, like, we'll get the epic metaphors, the big, long passages of, like, elevated diction and, and sort of, like, overly important you know, speeches and stuff, but Lombardo has a really good sense about when to use it and when not to use it. Hell, he even undercuts it from time to time. Um, there are a couple of especially great passages where, like, somebody launches into this, you know, I am Zeus, the mightiest of all of the gods, and you will listen to me because I am so awesome. And somebody immediately is like, yeah, if you're so awesome, then why do I know exactly what you're doing? And he's like, damn it, why do you know things? Um... Lombardo's really good at that, and I think that, you know, he is true to Homer's original vision and original voice in that sense, even more true than many of the sort of more well-regarded writers at the time. So this translation has the benefit of being easy to read and also faithful to the original, which, you know, that's a slam dunk for me as your professor. Um, as a consequence, though, I'm going to be asking you to read a lot of it at a stretch. Um, in this class, when we read the Iliad, the Odyssey, and most of our primary sources, especially in Lombardo's translation, it's not going to be unusual for me to assign, like, a hundred pages a week. Um, and on the one hand, that sounds daunting, and on the other, on, you know, it really is kind of daunting, like, a hundred pages is no joke no matter what class and what book you're reading. Um, but I should emphasize, this is pure poetry. Like, half of the page is being used most of the time. Like, if you factor in the line breaks, the fact that, you know, it is in verse, and therefore it's not just a block of text most of the time. And if you factor in the fact that Lombardo is speaking a pretty familiar contemporary English, it should be easy to blow through this. 100 pages in a week is not impossible. That'll take you, like, maybe two, maybe two and a half hours, I suspect. 
Um, so, yeah, I'm going to ask a lot, but I understand that it's a lot. Um, and I'm not expecting you to retain every tiny, insignificant detail of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Not by a long shot. I want you to know the names, especially when they're important, especially when they come up a lot. I want you to know the major events that are taking place, but if you manage to miss the one guy who gets killed twice in the Iliad, that's okay. I missed it too. Um, what I'm looking for is a pretty basic comprehension across the board, and I'll draw your attention to the stuff that's super-duper important in the lectures and in the other material of this class, like the quizzes. Um, so yeah, we are in fact going to read the entirety of the Iliad, cover to cover, all 500 pages over the course of roughly five weeks. Um, but, like I said, the translation's pretty easy, and I'll be guiding you every step of the way, so I will make this as painless as possible. Um, you'll also notice that I rely on Lombardo's translations for the other texts in this class as well, for the most part. We'll talk about the exceptions. Um, the other two textbooks in this class are The Essential Odyssey and The Essential Aeneid. Both written or translated by Stanley Lombardo. Um, both ancient texts in their own right. The Odyssey is obviously Homer's other book. Uh, the Aeneid is written by Virgil, a Roman writer. Um, we're going to be relying on Lombardo here, but we're also not going to be reading the whole text in this case. Uh, that moniker, the essential Odyssey in Aeneid, um, indicates that the text that you are getting is only half the size of the original work, and we are only going to be reading half of the half in this case. Um, so we're going to only read like a quarter of the Odyssey and a quarter of the Aeneid. Only the parts that are super duper relevant, only the stuff that I consider extremely important, only the stuff that is especially significant for understanding the rest of the course material and sort of buttressing our understanding of how this relates to the to Troy and the Trojan War across the board. Um, so by all means, track those down. Again, the Iliad, the Essential Odyssey, and the Essential Aeneid, all three of them will probably be like no more than 15 bucks on Amazon or at the school store wherever you choose to get them. Um, they should be really easy to find and really easy to read, for that matter. Um, so those are our textbooks, and that's how we're going to read them. Um, the, we're going to start with the Cambridge Companion to Homer, read a couple of articles to prepare for the Iliad, read the Iliad in its entirety, take on a chunk of the Odyssey, and then we'll be talking about Homer, talking about his legacy, including our readings from the Aeneid. Um, along the way, I will be incorporating other stuff, um, the occasional video, like I'm partial to Crash Course videos, so a couple of them show up in here, as well as a couple of extra history videos, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we're also going to be supplementing our reading with other people talking about Homer, um, like other literary works that very much reference Homer. So we'll be talking about how Euripides talks about Homer and the Trojan women, um, in addition to the Aeneid, um, as well as some medieval texts, like we're going to look at uh, Dante's Inferno and... Or, the Joffrey of Monmouth's History of Britain, both of which make heavy reference of Homer and the Trojan War, and we'll finish off the semester with a chunk of uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, written in the nope, 17th century. Um, so all in all, those are our readings. If they're not in our textbooks, I will provide them online on Canvas. Get familiar with Canvas. You will be spending a lot of time there this semester. Um, so with that in mind, let's move on past the first couple pages of the syllabus, which, yeah, I'm following the syllabus on this one, and you should be looking at the syllabus as I go through our lecture. Um, you can find the syllabus easily on the Canvas page. Like, there's liter uh, most of our Canvas stuff will be taking place on the modules page, which 
should be the home page. Um, if you scroll to the very top of that page, literally the first thing that will happen after the academic engagement activity is the syllabus. Open it up, take a look. Um, if you can't find it on the modules page, it should be in the menu under syllabus. Um, like, you should be familiar with the syllabus by the end of this discussion, and you should be familiar with the syllabus anyway, because this is where we do all of our planning for the semester. Um, so yeah, open that up, turn to the second page where it says conduct. Um, if you are curious about the textbooks, they're on the first page, feel free to track them down there. We're going to talk about the conduct section a little bit, since I know we are not actually meeting in person, and therefore conduct is a little bit less important than actual on-campus uh, courses, but there's still some stuff that we need to get out of the way, so we're going to talk about it. First of all, I'm not accepting late assignments. Uh, there is a crucial exception to this, namely the research paper. That one I will accept late, but across the board for this class, if you turn it in late, I'm just not going to count it. Unless, like, you already have worked something out with me, but even that is going to be really rare in this class. Uh, I don't make a whole lot of exceptions to the not accepting late assignments rule. Um, once upon a time, I was actually really generous, and I accepted late assignments all the time, but then I completely overhauled the structure of the course, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And at this point, it just doesn't make sense for me to accept late assignments. Um, like, structurally, because all of the assignments are optional, it doesn't make sense for me to, like, track down students and demand that they turn in late work. Um, it doesn't even make sense for me to accept late work, because you can always do a different as assignment and get the points that you missed. Um, so all that to say, there are no late assignments in here. The research paper is the one and only exception to this rule, and that's largely because you can get a good grade in this class on the strength of the research paper alone, and we'll talk about that. Um, but generally speaking, again, no late assignments. Like, if you can't turn it in on time, then don't bother turning it in at all. If you have a weird out-of-control situation, like you've done almost all the work, but then you have to, like, go to the hospital or you, you know, have to take care of a family member or something, yeah, I'm willing to listen to you, but these are the sorts of emergency exceptional cases, cases and that's all I'm going to all I'm going to entertain. Like, oh no, you know, I have to work the day that I'm turning in the paper. That is not a sufficient excuse in this case. Just don't do that assignment. Worry about one of the ones down the road. Um, second, no plagiarism. And I'm going to, like, really emphasize this one uh, be for a number of reasons. Um, first, on, first and foremost, like, ever since the COVID pandemic, I've seen the number of papers being plagiarized just going through the roof, and I am sick to fucking death of it. I'm done with plagiarism. If you turn in a plagiarized assignment, you get a zero automatically. And that is it. That is the entire conversation. Like, I will put a little note on your assignment that says, you know, evidence of plagiarism from wherever these plagiarized sources, no credit, and that's it. You get a zero, period. No redos, no takebacks, no nothing. Um... If, in fact, I am making a mistake or something is wrong, you can, in fact, call me out on this. Um, like, I am willing to listen to those sorts of situations. Um, but usually what I'm going to expect in those situations is for you to explain to me how you created your paper and why it does not constitute plagiarism. Um, which means if your complaint here is, you know, 
But, Professor, I didn't plagiarize. I cited that source, see right there, and I'm like, but that doesn't line up with the source that you cited. Then our conversation is once again over, and I'm not going to be paying attention to anything more that you have to say. Um, if, however, your response is, hey, that was actually in a quote right there, you see, like, there's the quote, you said that this was plagiarized, you literally said that I copied the source that I cited, and I'm like, oh, whoops, my bad, I messed up, and, you know, then I give you a grade. But I do not want, like, the, but professor, how is it plagiarized? It only is, you know, 2% match on Turnitin. Don't care. Turnitin is not the only way that I determine whether a paper is plagiarized. Um, I do not want to hear complaints on that front. Um, likewise, if you're saying, but professor, it doesn't match word for word the thing that you said. Yeah, don't care about that either. I am well aware that there are tons of, quote, paraphrasing tools available to you online, um, and that you can at any point just copy and paste any swath of text from Sparknotes or Wikipedia or whatever into those uh, paraphrase tools and have them doctor the text so it doesn't look the same. That's plagiarism. Like, any time that you present somebody else's ideas or work or words as yours, and it's not, that's plagiarism. Which is why, if you're going to say, but professor, this isn't plagiarism, I am going to expect you to tell me this is how I compose the assignment. These are the sources that I use. This is the citation style that I did. Maybe I screwed up a citation, but, you know, it was an honest mistake, and not you know, I have no idea how that looks so suspiciously similar to this source that I did not quote in my paper or refer to in my bibliography. Like, I just don't want to hear it. Um, if you do have questions about plagiarism, come talk to me about them. Like, I am totally willing to talk to you about, you know, this is how citation works, this is how you avoid being called out for being a plagiarist. Um, like, if you were actually legitimately worried about it, we can work together and we can work this out. No problem. Um, what I am talking about here is you're trying to deceive me in some respect. You are presenting somebody else's work as your own with no original insights, no, you know, personal sort of spin on the material, no, like, way of sort of reframing or rephrasing all of this as your own work. Um, that's plagiarism. Um, and I don't want you to plagiarize. Let me stress this. I would literally rather you turn in shit for your assignments, to turn in only half of the required work, or to turn in something that is clearly bullshit, or, you know, clearly just, like, slapped together at the last moment. That's fine. I will give you points on that stuff. It will not actually bring down your grade because of the way the grading system in here works. Hell, you are welcome to write Professor Kozlowski is a giant asshole over and over and over in your paper until you hit 16 pages, turn it in, and you will get a better grade than you would receive if you, you know, turned in a plagiarized assignment. That is the Professor Kozlowski guarantee. Um, but if you plagiarize, we're done. The conversation is over. Like, you get a zero on the assignment, there is no way to make that up, and if it is late enough in the semester, that's probably your grade. Um, like, there's no way back from that at that point. Um, so don't do it. Do not plagiarize. Um, on a related note, because I know that this is a thing I have to deal with now, um, I'm also going to be really wary of ChatGPT this semester. Um, if you don't know, ChatGPT is a 
chatbot, like an artificial intelligence that is groundbreaking and has completely revolutionized the way that the internet like communicates. You can like ask ChatGPT questions, and he will present answers culled from across the great wisdom of the internet. But you can also tell ChatGPT to write you a 16-page paper on Homer, and he will totally do that. And generally speaking he will do it with enough quality and enough decent research resources to earn most students a B-. But, I should emphasize, even if you are using an algorithm and a complicated advanced calculator to basically write your papers for you, that is still plagiarism by my reckoning. It is a different kind of plagiarism, I admit, and I might actually give you a grade if you in fact use ChatGPT, especially if I miss it. But I am happy to announce that over this Christmas break, a scholar from Princeton, who is apparently both a humanities scholar who is interested in seeing papers written, but also a skilled computer scientist, has put together a ChatGPT detector tool. I am so excited to break this sucker out and ruin some students' days with this. Um, so if you use ChatGPT to compose your papers, you do so at your own risk there is a decent chance that I will call you out because I will use this detection tool, find out that you have actually let somebody else, i.e. Mr. ChatGPT, do all of your writing for you, and you will not receive credit for the assignment. Now, that said, if you are in fact struggling with English, if you are in fact not a great paper writer and you want to use ChatGPT to do some of the work for you, that's dodgier. I don't recommend it. I cannot recommend it. But I can theoretically understand circumstances where it might be appropriate to use ChatGPT. So, with that in mind, here are the rules. If you, in fact, want to use ChatGPT in the composition of your assignment, I want you to talk to me about it beforehand. I want to learn more about ChatGPT as well. I want to learn about how it can be used properly, how it can be used effectively, how my students can use this as a tool to make their papers better. So with that in mind, if you want to cooperate with me in trying to figure this stuff out, I am more than game for that. But I do not want to surprise be ambushed with ChatGPT in an assignment that you didn't talk to me about. If I find out that you're using ChatGPT without my express permission and our cooperation, we're both in trouble and you're probably going to get a zero on the assignment. That too will count as plagiarism. But, again, I am willing to make exceptions if we are all above board about this. So use ChatGPT at your own risk. Um, you can either come to me to have a conversation about it, make sure that this is all on the up and up, and then we can learn more about this stuff together, or alternatively, you can surprise me with it and hope that you don't get detected, which I guess we'll see if this Princeton Scholars uh, detection tool is at all that it's cracked up to be. Um, you better believe I'm going to be paranoid this semester, so I'll be using it on basically every paper I encounter. Um, so with that in mind, again, the ground rules here are do not plagiarize. Do not represent somebody else's word-for-word -word argument as your own work. Do not use a paraphrase tool and try to represent somebody else's argument as their own work. Do not copy somebody else's ideas and present them as your own, even if you're using your own words to do it. Cite everything. Be above board with me about all the tools that you're using, and we will be fine. If you are worried about plagiarism, come talk to me about it. I will happily help you out. If you don't know how to make sure that you cite sources so you don't get accused of plagiarism, come talk to me about it, and we'll sort that out. 
But if at the end of the day, if it is May and I am looking over papers and I find out that somebody's using ChatGPT or somebody copied off of some assignment and it doesn't show up in the works cited, it doesn't show up in the bibliography, that's a zero. And there's no coming back from that one, not in May. Um, so proceed at your own risk. Just talk to me and we should be fine. Um, Moving on with our conduct discussion, students should conduct themselves professionally, should preserve the classroom setting as a place for intellectual discourse. Harassment based on race, sex, gender, religion, or ability will not be tolerated. Um, I suspect you've read this stuff in other syllabi at this point, like, especially since, you know, the internet turned into a giant politicized shit show in the last, like, six or seven years or so. Uh, many college professors have been, you know, incorporating stuff like this onto their syllabi in some respect or another. Um, what I'm basically saying here, especially for our online class, is that we have to be able to discuss this stuff civilly. Um, and on the one hand, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for us to get into sort of like heated, politicized, super controversial discussions, unless, you know, we really, really get into Homer and are suddenly like really worked up about the neo-analytical perspective or something, um, which I don't anticipate. Uh, but at the same time, we are going to touch a on a lot of subjects that are going to be at least close by do some pretty controversial and pretty politicized stuff nowadays. Um, anytime that you're talking about Greek mythology, you're going to be talking about rape quite a bit, for example. Um, women are in a very unpleasant situation in the ancient Greek world. They are very much in danger of being attacked, carried off, and indeed raped at a moment's notice. Um, we, will be we will not actually encounter any, like, actually narrated occasions of rape in any of the works that we're talking about this semester, but we will frequently refer to people who have been raped or who will be raped, don't ask. Um, it's a thing that's going to come up. We will be talking about some pretty heavy and controversial stuff, including but not limited to the role of women in Greek society, the relationship between men and women, gods and religious practices, as well as how militaries are supposed to work and how honor is supposed to happen. Like, as much as a lot of this is going to be tame, every now and again we're going to stumble into territory that's actually kind of fraught and dangerous. And I want to just sort of make us all aware of this at the outset and emphasize that if we're going to talk about this, and we do need to talk about this, like, we definitely need to understand the role of women in ancient Greek society, both in Homer's day as well as in classical Greece, um, as well as when the Trojan War would have actually happened, we need to be able to have a fairly frank and earnest discussion about this stuff without kind of getting worried that people are going to be assholes about it. Um, so there's kind of this tough balance to strike. On the one hand, I want us to be talking about this stuff. I want us to be challenged by these questions and conversations. Um, the part of the reason that we read all of these ancient Greek texts in the first place is to give us an understanding of a culture and a perspective that is radically different from our own. One that is, in many ways, as we might call it, backward or, you know, oppressive or you know, in one way or another, like, just retrograde in some way. Um, we, in our enlightened age of 2023, have accomplished and overcome many obstacles to civil rights. We have a 
attempted to achieve a sort of like equality under the law for many people who are marginalized. The Greeks have not. Um, and they're not interested in doing it at all. Like, this is not a priority for them. Civil rights is not a thing in the ancient Greek world. Um, and that sucks. And we need to talk about why that sucks in a way that is honest and straightforward. But we also need to talk about what they did right. And this is a tough needle to thread in the modern age of internet discourse where, you know, a Twitter argument basically boils down to X is good, X is bad. If you think X is good, then you are a bad person. If you think X is bad, then you are a bad person. At which point the whole thing explodes into canceling. We can't do that in here. We need to respect and appreciate the Greeks' position and their biases and their retrograde behavior, and we need to be able to understand what makes that behavior retrograde, what makes it immoral. In order to understand why X is bad, we need to understand the various ways that X has manifested. We need to be able to talk about the difference between the oppression of women in Greek culture and the oppression of women in Roman culture and the oppression of women under Christianity. Like, yes, all three of them are largely oppressive and really kind of shitty to women, but they're shitty to women in radically different ways, and I want to talk about that. Um, so we can't boil it down to sim simplistic perspectives. Which means we need to be able to talk about this stuff carefully, and we need to make this stuff not personal. And again, this is a really tough needle to thread. I recognize that our identities are bound up with our values. That if I, as a Christian, believe that, you know, the Bible is the primary authority for understanding the way that humans are supposed to behave to one another, and you come out and say the Bible is actually really misogynistic, it's going to be really hard for me, the Christian, to say, hey, that's a personal attack on my religion. But that's what it has to be understood to be. We need to be able to separate the personal values that we each hold dearly and how they compose us as people from the ideas themselves. So we need to recognize the difference between attacking someone, you are a terrible person for believing X, your religion, your faith is bad, versus talking about the ideas themselves. The Christian idea of women is misogynistic. The Greek perspective on sexuality is backward and oppressive. That's the sort of conversation we need to have in here, and we need to not make it personal and not take it personally. And I want us to challenge these ideas. I want us to be frank about our ideas. I want us to say, you know, but my religion teaches me X. And for everyone to be like, okay, cool. But... Here is what this conviction says. This, here is what this religion says. Here is what this value system says. This is what this culture has to say. That's fine. I want us to put ourselves out there. I want us to put ourselves in the spotlight. I want us to feel uncomfortable, in short. I want us to get into the minds of misogynists in some respect. Um, I want us to understand how their misogyny works in order to understand how misogyny works. Um... So, on some level, I want us to be uncomfortable. I want us to be challenged. I want sweat, in short. But I don't want blood, and I don't want tears. And I will not tolerate attacks on my students from anyone. Other students, other professors, whatever, I'm not going to stand for it. So if you are on some discussion board and you call somebody an idiot, you're in trouble. You the one who called the person the idiot, not the person who was called the idiot. 
Likewise, if you respond to someone who has made a neutral comment about an idea with, that's really offensive, I'm going to be grumpy about that too. Probably less grumpy, but still grumpy. Because that's where it goes from being an idea to being personal. We need to be able to, to some degree, separate this. Bullshit as that distinction might be, that's what academics are all about. That's what the whole business of academia is about, to sort of distance ourselves from our ideas so we can safely and comfortably experiment with different philosophies, different perspectives, different ideas, and respect each of those conflicting perspectives in this relatively safe, relatively hermetically sealed environment. I want to talk about this stuff. I want you to feel comfortable talking about this stuff. And if I miss a beat, if you are being harassed, or if someone is getting obnoxious in the comments and I'm not catching it, feel free to call me out. Send me an email, say, Professor so-and-so is messing with me. I'll look it up. I'll make a decision. I will get grumpy about it. Um, I want you to feel comfortable in here. I want everyone to participate. That's the requirement necessary on my end. So I'm going to do my job, and I hope that you will do yours as well. So don't take it personally if it's not meant to be personal, and definitely do not make it personal. No personal attacks whatsoever. Cool? Cool, I hope, since right now I'm just talking to myself. Lastly, and sort of connected to this, pride is overrated, questions and mistakes are encouraged. I know that as students, you are engaged in a very complex balancing act between your social life and your life on campus and your life as a student and your life as an employee and all the other stuff that you're doing. And I realize that my class is going to be fairly low priority as all of these things stack up. Um, so if you are, in fact, in class with your boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other or whatever, I recognize that you are going to feel a certain amount of pressure to look cool and smart and put together in a way that asking stupid questions is pretty incompatible with. And yet... The fact of the matter is that one of the best ways that you are going to learn anything in this class is by asking stupid questions and looking like an idiot from time to time. Um, that's what I mean here by pride is overrated and mistakes are encouraged. When a student asks a question that seems manifestly obvious, and I have had many students start their questions with, I'm sorry, professor, this is a stupid question, but... And my gut reaction as your professor will, every time that somebody does this, will be to say, there are no stupid questions, thank you for raising your hand, oh my gosh, you're probably saying something that like 10 other students want to say, but are not brave enough to actually raise their hand and say. So please, ask the questions. Um, post something on a discussion board and directly like ask me for advice or insight, that's fine. Send me emails with your stupid questions and I will be happy, happy, happy to answer them. Um, one of the biggest dangers that we face in an all-online class is that I have no idea what's going on in your mind, your life, your, you know, study of this material, because, again, there's no mechanism by which I'm going to be regularly tracking you besides the discussion boards, which, as you'll see, are optional. So if you, in fact, are having problems, chances are I'm not going to know about it until you, like, come to me and say, hey, I'm having problems. And likewise, if there is this massive amount of confusion because I phrased some question in a really complicated, messy, and, you know, unintelligible way, I'm occasionally inclined to do that. I very much, you know, trip over my own feet in my own writing. Um, I'm not going to know unless somebody asks the question, unless somebody stands up and looks like a fool in order to make that work. Now, in an online section, this can be done much more privately. Like, this is a 
way different scenario when, you know, somebody at the front of a class full of like 35 students raises their hand and asks, so professor, what do you mean when you say X? Um, and then we're all sort of like forced to stop the course in its tracks and talk about it at that moment. Um, but still, I recognize that, you know, I'm busy, and you know I'm busy, and you respect my time, and you know all that stuff. I know that many of you are going to be considerate, thoughtful, good, well-meaning students who want to, you know, be considerate of my time and my energy. Fine. Great. Thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Like, for real, I do, in fact, have a lot to do. But I like answering these questions. That's the fun part of the job. What I hate is trying to figure out where the students, you know, try to use their original, uh, where they plagiarize the source from. Like, that sucks. And it may all be a basket case. All the more reason to ask questions now. If you have questions about the syllabus, if you have questions about the class, if you have questions about the material, email me. Send me one of those crazy emails with like six paragraphs that goes on forever and that you think is way too long and wasting my time. I love those so much because it actually gives me context. It gives me an opportunity to respond in a way that is actually robust. Yeah, it takes time for me to respond to them, but that's time well spent by my reckoning. That's me actually doing my job, educating, and not just doing paperwork, checking boxes, and you know, getting mad at students for not doing work. That's the kind of stuff I'm here to do. So by all means, if you have a question, ask me about it. Hell, if you don't have a question, talk to me anyway. Ask me what video games I'm playing lately. How my, ask me how my other classes are going. Ask me, you know, what other books I'm reading in my spare time. I will be happy to talk to you about it. Because it is way more fun than just sitting there twiddling my thumbs, waiting to find out whether my students are going to pass or fail my class. The answer to almost all of these conduct questions, and the answer to basically everything in this class, is going to be, come talk to me about it. Because... I don't want you to fail. And the easiest way to fail in here is to just quit. To stop doing the work, to stop asking the questions, to stop engaging the material, and to stop doing the assignments. And I want to prevent that at all costs. So if you're asking, quote, stupid questions, fine. All By all means, I want to answer them. And I want to help you understand this material, and I want you to feel confident when you, in fact, go into writing the papers. Because if you do, that's going to be enough in here. Like, again, we're going to talk about the grading system in a moment, but there's really no reason that anyone in this class can't pass this course, or for that matter, just get an A altogether. Um, like, you don't have to be a genius to do well in here. All you have to do is show up and do the work. There's more than enough in the way of points and assignments to get the perfect score in this class, get an A, and leave this room with a 4.0. No reason why you can't do that. Anyone. Doesn't matter how smart, doesn't matter how well you learn the material, like, anyone. Even if you can't understand the Iliad, no big deal, we will make this work. You just gotta show me that you're willing. That's the key. You gotta, you know, stop acting like you've got it all together, stop acting like you don't need my help, stop acting like you do in fact totally understand this and, you know, every word that comes out of my mouth is totally understandable to you, and actually get some clarification. If you show me you're engaged, that will go a long way towards guaranteeing a good grade in this class. Don't fake me out with it, don't do the, you know, overly polite bullshit thing, whatever. 
But if you are honestly interested in getting a good grade in this class, even if you don't care about the material, we'll make that work. Once again, I will help you to navigate, chart your course through here and get the grade that you want. We can make that work. As for some other matters, um, I do in fact have office hours. In addition to teaching this course, I'm also teaching a section of mythology on campus on Wednesdays. Um, so my rough office hours at this point will be from 1.30 to 2.30 in the afternoon in the library on the second floor. Like if you go directly up the stairs from the circulation desk, go through the big heavy two blue fire doors, um, you'll see just books. Um, if you go forward and turn to the left, it'll be this long section with all these tables and places where like people can sit and do their work. I typically hang out there for an hour after my class on Wednesdays. Feel free to come find me if you happen to be on campus and happen to be available during that time. If you do need to meet me and can't make it to campus, by all means, send me an email. We will either solve it via email or I can always you know, schedule a Zoom conference and the two of us can talk face-to-face -face that way. Um, don't be a stranger. Feel free to come, shake my hand, meet me like in person at some point. I'd be happy to actually meet some of the, you know, things that are just names on a like list of attendance roster on Canvas at this point. Um, again, like knowing where you're at is a big help for both of us. So don't be a stranger. Um, if you have disabilities or if you need special accommodations, by all means, talk to me about them as soon as possible. Uh, I can totally give you more time on the quizzes, I can give you extra time for an exam, I can give you the opportunity to like have the exam proctored on campus. All of these things are totally doable, I just need to know about them, preferably as soon as possible. So, you know, have, like, come talk to me or come have the uh, Office of Accommodations contact me, whatever, we'll sort that out. Um, you'll notice that I also include a second place where I talk about plagiarism here. Again, let me emphasize, I don't want you to plagiarize this semester. Literally anything would be better than that. Please cite all of your sources. Please do not try and, you know, like substitute ChatGPT or some kind of online resource for your own work. Um, if you do have questions, come talk to me. Please, please, please. Like, I would much rather have a conversation about citations this semester than I would to, like, end up accusing you of plagiarism in May. Um, and I need to, like, again, stress this. I know what's going on in this class this semester. Like, this is not my first time teaching a spring semester all-online course. I realize that many of you are going to need this class in order to graduate, that this is the last class you need in order to graduate, that if you fail this course, you are so boned and will not be able to graduate, will have to come back in the summer or something like that. I get it. I am well aware of the stakes for many of you in this class, but I want to bounce that right back to you. If it is in fact so important, then do not, do not jeopardize your grade in this class by plagiarizing. Don't. Because I am totally willing to help you get the grade you need to graduate this semester. Again, just email me, have a conversation with me, come meet me during my office hours, ask those questions, whatever. Get in touch, we'll make this work. What I won't tolerate is you're going to blow off this entire course until you turn in some massive research paper that's all plagiarized at the end of the semester and then get really, really mad at me for accusing you of plagiarism when it is manifestly the case. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to go well for you. 
I don't want it to happen. I've had these conversations. I've had the, you know, students getting mad at me in May because they are no longer able to graduate because they plagiarized an assignment conversation. They suck for everyone involved. Don't let it get to that point. If you are in hot water at the end of April or in May, please just come talk to me about it for the love of God. I will help you figure it out. I will tell you what I need, what the bare minimum for this class is, and I will get you to that point. Um, but don't plagiarize. That's not the solution here. Um, I know that it'll seem really tempting when it is like 11.45, the day before the paper is due, and you are panicking because you do not have the time to turn in sufficient work. I get it. But just talk to me. Send me an email. Tell me exactly what is happening. Be honest with me, and I will help you. That's my job. That's what I want to do. You may have had many professors who are dismissive, who will reject you out of hand, who will be like, well, it's too late in the semester, you're just screwed. I get the impulse. I am not that professor. I want to help. I want to make this work. I will be frustrated, probably, if you come to me for the first time in April and say, Professor, I haven't done any of the assignments, what do I do? But that's way better to me than you turning in a plagiarized assignment and then asking me, I have a zero in this class, what do I do? So please, don't plagiarize. That's not the solution. Come talk to me instead. We will figure it out. Now, as for the actual business of being a student in this class, you'll notice that I have an entire page devoted to this on the syllabus, how to be a student in this class. I'm also probably going to post an announcement that has much of the same material. We're going to go over this a couple times because this is probably as crucial as stuff gets in here. Um, I realize that, again, online classes are all different. Professors have different expectations for all of them. And I also realize, because I have been an online student, that it's going to be real easy to sort of, like, get disconnected from the assignments, to miss a couple of things, and then feel bad about it, and then feel worse about it when feeling bad about it makes you miss more things, and then eventually get so far in the hole that you don't know how to get out again. I know. I've been there. Um, don't let that happen to you is what I'm going to basically say here in this section. The way that this class is constructed, it is basically meant to mirror the on-campus version of this course, which would typically meet twice a week, and we would have an hour and 15 minute long lecture or discussion. Um, we would have two of those in the week, and then there would be certain assignments due over the course of the week, as we get closer to April, bigger assignments start showing up, and then, you know, eventually we take the final exam and we call it. For this class, you should think of it the same way. Think of it in a weekly format. Don't try and, like, blow off the rest of the assignments in this class and then wait until the big ones. That is a viable choice, but it is one that you will have to make very carefully and very deliberately. Generally, the best practice here is take it a week at a time, do all of the assignments, and then move on to the next week. Sunday through Saturday, that is a week in this course. Virtually all of the assignments are due at 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, as you will find on Canvas. If you have major assignments, maybe think about doing them a couple weeks in advance, or at least starting on them so you can work on them progressively as time goes on. But, like I said, do not get disconnected. Do not fall off the map. If you, in fact, miss a week, stuff happens. Don't worry about it. Press forward. 
Ignore the stuff that you missed and push on. If you have time to catch up, great. But generally speaking, you will get better grades in this course and you will do better overall if you just blow past it and look towards the future instead. So that said, again, this is roughly the same as the online version of this or on-campus version of this course. So no differences are expected in the amount of workload besides the discussion boards, which again, we'll talk about. But every week, roughly speaking, you should be doing the following. First, read and watch the material for that week. So if we're reading the Iliad, read the Iliad. If we're reading the Cambridge Companion to Homer, read whatever I've assigned from the, from the Cambridge Companion to Homer. Maybe I've thrown in a video or two. Great. Watch the videos. Um, do all of the, quote, reading first. Many times I'm going to arrange that in a way that it's like two different assignments. Feel free to do one first and then the other, or do all the reading for both at the same time. Up to you. There's going to be a lot of ways to sort of approach this. Whatever your approach, that's what you need to do. Read and watch all the stuff. Then there will be lectures. Just like this syllabus lecture, every week we will have two recorded lectures. I recorded them last year over the summer because that's how I do online courses, and having them in the bank is really useful for me so I can just assign them to students later on in the semester. Cool beans, good for me, good for you, everyone wins. So I will expect you to have listened to both of the lectures. I'm not going to test you on the lectures. I'm not that professor who, you know, is more impressed with his own perspective and his own ideas than the work that you're actually encountering on your own. Uh, but generally speaking, I find that my students understand the material a lot better when they hear me explain it to them, either because I'm very good at explaining things or because they just need it reinforced or because reading is hard or because they're not doing the reading and really they just want to listen to me anyway. I have no idea why. At any rate, I am expecting you to listen to the two chorus lectures. That's going to be probably two to two and a half hours of reading, plus two and a half hours of me talking at you about it. But it is entirely on your own time. Those five hours are yours to play with as you please. What I recommend, though, is get into a habit. Do all your reading for the class on Monday. Do the listening to the lectures on Tuesday. Do the assignments on Wednesday. Just get into the habit. Make it part of your routine. Make it so every week you are waking up and saying, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I can expect from this class. It is arranged that way on the Canvas modules page to just help you to think in that framework. But again, every week, think to yourself, have I read the material? Have I listened to the lectures? And then have I had the conversations with my students and done the assignments for the week? Again, the discussion boards are going to be up every week. In theory, I haven't read them yet. We're working on that. Um, they are, however, optional. They are not required for this course. You can totally get a good grade. You can get full marks in this class without doing any discussion boards whatsoever. But if discussion boards are your jam, if you are better at the nickel and dime assignments than you are at doing some big assignment down the pike, great. By all means, use the discussion boards. That is what they are there for. The way I'm working the discussion boards is I want there to be an actual conversation, not just people answering whatever questions I've posted. Um, because I know, discussion boards suck. I hate them. I hated them when I was a student. I hate them as a professor. I get it. Um, so I have designed the, the system of the discussion board grading in such a way as to reward conversations more than I reward people just, like, saying their opinion about the question and just turning in some, you know, pat answer or try and just get the credit and call it a day. Um, if that's not what you want to do, though, don't do it. Like, don't show up to the discussion boards unless you want to play. Um, 
I want that to be where actual conversation is going on. I don't want it to get bogged down in routine answers, if that makes sense. Um, hopefully that'll be more clear when we actually get to the discussion of the discussion boards, but whatever. Um, the rest of the time, though, there are going to be other assignments during the week. Uh, just about every week you're going to have a reading quiz covering the material for that week. Um, on weeks that there is no re reading quiz, there will probably be a response paper or one of the major assignments like the research paper. All of them will be due on Saturday at 11.59 p.m. So again, it should be easy to build a routine around this. Read all of the stuff on Monday. Listen to the lectures on Wednesday as you're driving to campus or whatever. Do all of the assignments, including the discussion boards, as you see fit on Friday into Saturday. And then you're done for the week and you move on to the next one. Get into a habit, get into that routine, it will help you so much. That has way more to do with making or breaking your grade in this class than virtually anything else that I can tell you. So I need to stress, get the routine going. Don't fall out of it. Don't let this class get away from you. That's the way that you will, you know, succeed in here, essentially. You're not going to fail this class by doing a poor assignment. You're going to fail this class by missing the assignment altogether. That's almost always the case. I have virtually never failed a student who turned in a decent version of an assignment. Only The only students who fail in my classes are those who plagiarize or who blow off the assignments or who just do not show up. If you show up, if you make an attempt at doing this work, you will be fine in here. I promise. And if you're not doing well enough, talk to me about it and we'll figure out the rest of the way. So let's talk about the grades, because this is going to be especially weird in here. Um, I have recently been experimenting with a new grading system. Um, I know I used to do what the old weighting system where it was like, this is 15% of your grade, and this is 20% of your grade, and this is 30% of your grade. No longer. I am now doing a straight points system across all my classes at all the schools where I teach. Um, your final grade will be entirely determined on how many points you get over the course of the semester. And this is purely cumulative. You do not lose points unless, you know, something really weird happens. Um, once you have points, be it from a quiz or from a discussion board or from a major assignment, those are banked. And the closer you get to 500, the higher your grade will be. So if you want an A grade in this class, all you have to do is get 465 points by any means necessary. Any combination of the assignments that are available, all you need is 465 points and you're done. Um, and you'll see how many points each, each assignment is worth a little further down on the page. Likewise, if you are just aiming to get a C in this class, all you need is 365 points. Once you got it, you're done. And I should emphasize... That's what I mean that. Like, I am not, you know, playing around here. If you get 400 points and you are happy with that grade and you don't want to take the final, don't take the final. If you have 350 points and you are happy with that grade, then you can blow off all of the quizzes and all of the discussion boards and all of the assignments to come. In this class, in theory at least, you could get all the points you need by February, March, etc., and just give up. Like, quit. Not even bother to show. And I would be fine with that. Now, that would probably mean that you'd have to read ahead, and you'd probably have to do a whole lot of work very quickly in order to get that done. But it is theoretically possible, especially in the online format. And if you want to do that, let me know. I will totally help you do that. Um, this system is designed to be gamed. 
It is designed to give you the power of determining what you want to do when you want to do it. Now, there are upsides and downsides to this. Actually, there's really only upsides. The downsides are theoretical and sort of experiential more than anything. The clear upside here is you get to do what you want. If you don't want to do discussion boards, don't do discussion boards. If you love discussion boards and would rather do that than write a paper, then do discussion boards and you can probably skip at least one of the papers. If you don't want to sit for the final exam, don't worry about it. Do a huge paper instead. If you don't want to nickel and dime a whole bunch of assignments, but would rather like devote all of your time and energy into producing one big paper that will actually like really in do involved research and is something that you could theoretically present to like a board of you know trustees for a master's program, so you can actually get into a really good school down the road, do that. I will totally help you with that. You can totally get an A in this class by doing literally one assignment, though it's going to be a big assignment. Um, all of these are possible for you. So the upside here is you get to do what you want. The downside, at least in practice, is a lot of students don't know what that means. Um, a lot of students don't like having the responsibility. Like, forgive me for getting a little too grand inquisitor here, but freedom is occasionally dangerous as much as it is, you know, beneficial. So the advantage here is you have tons of freedom. The disadvantage is it is so much freedom that many students will inevitably hang themselves with all that freedom. Since you do not have to do any assignments except the ones you want, you could theoretically blow off this class for six weeks and still get a good grade in here. Now, the good news there is you can blow off this class for six weeks and still get a good grade in here. The bad news is many students are going to blow off this class for six weeks thinking that they can get a good grade in here, and then it'll come around to, you know, week seven, and they'll be like, oh shit, I haven't done any of the reading, I haven't done any of the research, now what? At which point, yes, they are very much screwed. Just because you have the option of not doing any of these assignments doesn't mean that you have the option of doing none of these assignments. You will, at the end of the day, have to show me your work. The question is, how do you want to show me your work? Are you more comfortable showing me your work on the little weekly quizzes that I assign every week? Great, then do those. Would you rather show me your work in a big paper? Great, do a big paper. Would you rather show me your work by participating in a discussion and engaging a lot of your fellow students in a conversation about this stuff? Great, do that. What you can't do, though, is do no assignments and then show up in May and say, why am I failing this class? Nope, not going to tolerate that. You have many routes to success here. You also have even more routes to failure. In some sense, you actually only have one route to failure. You do nothing. So don't let this freedom, this power, go to your head. Just because I am giving you a lot of options here does not mean that you have the option of doing nothing. And as much as I just stressed, you know, get into a weekly routine, get into the habit of doing all of the reading and all of the lectures and so on and so forth every single week, yeah, you don't have to do that. Hell, you could, if you wanted, do all of the reading for the next two weeks every week until you've managed to do the class in eight. Cool. Great. Awesome. That works. What doesn't work is I'm going to do all of the last all of the class assignments in the last half of the semester and then ultimately get away from it because you have other responsibilities. What I recommend is chart a course. Make a plan. There are no assignments for this first week of class. The assumption here is that you're going to use this syllabus 
and plan what your plan is going to be. You could very much say, I am just going to do the one big paper. I'm going to do the 500-point research paper. That's going to be my entire grade. In which case, I highly recommend you come talk to me about it. Or you could say, I am going to do all the quizzes and all the discussion boards, and then whatever points are left, that's what I'll pour into the final exam of the paper. That will also work, totally. But make a plan and stick to it. Don't let this get away from you. you. What this does mean, though, is that if you are doing all of the assignments, if you are, like, frenetically responsible and, you know, do everything that I offer, you will be so far ahead of the game by April or May that you probably won't even have to do the final, for sure. Like, at minimum. But at the very least, you will have options. Even if you do blow off the class for the first half of the semester, there are ways to get yourself out of it. It's just going to be a lot of work, and a lot of work very quickly. So you can pace yourself, or you can not pace yourself. Just know what you're going to do. Make a plan. This schedule is very flexible, but it is flexible enough that you bend it too far and you will break. Now with that in mind, here are the assignments that you have to choose from as far as getting your points. First off, virtually every week there's going to be a reading quiz. Each reading quiz is worth 10 points. They are pretty ridiculously difficult. The questions are often very demanding and very detail-oriented. They will require that you read the material closely. They're worth 10 points apiece. There are going to be 11 of them over the course of the semester, so that's 110 points on the table, in theory. Um, each one that you do, every question that you answer correctly, that's one point right in the back. So there's no disadvantage to doing the quizzes, because I'm never going to like, deduct points from you. That will always be points in the bank, even if you just go through the 10, guess randomly, and pick up like two or three points. Whatever. But if you are working your butt off and still only getting six or seven points, that's okay. Like I said, they're crazy difficult. It's totally fine. Most of what the quizzes are for are to actually sort of point your attention to the stuff that I consider important and therefore that you should be paying attention to either for these assignments or for other assignments down the road. Um, so just keep in mind they're an option. Again, do roughly every Saturday at 11.59 p.m. They will only ever benefit you, but they are kind of rough. Um, they'll only take 10 minutes to complete as well. Like, there's a 10-minute timer on it, which is at least partially there to keep you from cheating, but is also there just because, you know, these are supposed to be small-scale. Don't worry about them too terribly much. Um, we'll also have two response papers over the course of the semester. Uh, they are 25 points apiece. Um, the way that the response papers work is they are, again, very low-stakes assignments. Again, only 25 points. But I should emphasize that they are more geared as a sort of way of me appreciating how you write than they are an actual written assignment in their own right. They're only a page long. They're on pretty easy topics. They're very open-ended. You can write virtually whatever you want there. Um, but the goal is you turn them in, and then you say to me, Professor... I want more detailed feedback. Generally, when I give you a grade on the response papers, I'm just going to give you a number, like out of 25. No feedback whatsoever. Um, and that number will be coded. And I'll explain to you, you know, okay, you got a 23. That means that you did pretty well, but not great. Um, you're on track for this grade later on down the road. We'll talk about that. There will be announcements. It'll be this whole thing. Um, if you are unhappy with that grade, if you're worried about what that grade means for the other assignments in this class, talk to me about it. Send me an email, say, Professor, I would like detailed feedback on my response paper. Um, you can also, and I honestly highly recommend this, turn in a hard copy. Like, show up during my office hours one time and be like, hey, Professor, here's my response paper, like, right here on paper. 
and I will accept it, and I will mark the living shit out of it with a red pen, and I will give it back to you as soon as I can. You know, we'll have to meet or something. Whatever. Totally doable. And then you will see exactly what I have in mind. I will, like, underline the run-on sentences, and I will point to the bad punctuation, and I will point out, like, this formulation is particularly awkward. That's the most helpful way to do this. We don't really have the time or the means as an all-online class to, like, get really deep into your writing here, but this is a writing-intensive class, and I do want to help you with your writing if you, in fact, want the help. So this is the way that I do that. I can't give detailed feedback to every student in this class across all the four classes that I'm teaching. It, it's just not possible. That's too many people, too much feedback. But everyone who wants feedback, I will give it to. Just ask, send me an email, Professor, I want detailed feedback, or turn in a hard copy, and I will give you detailed feedback so you will be better prepared for the assignments down the road. And for your other classes, for that matter. Like, this hardly just is restricted to this class alone. Um... There are two major papers in this class the response paper is meant to sort of, like, prepare you for. The first is the Homer paper. Once we're done reading Homer's Iliad and Homer's Odyssey, we have a paper where I ask, basically, like, tell me about Homer and what he values about certain things. Um, you'll notice on the syllabus that I give you a couple of examples, like the Greek view of rage, sexual values, honor, religion, all that sort of thing. It's hardly the limit of stuff that you could talk about. You could talk about Homer on fate, or Homer on death, or Homer on, like, the relationship between gods and humans, or Homer on storytelling, or Homer on hospitality. Like, the number of possibilities here are endless. Um, but this is a kind of smallish paper. It's sort of sitting here as basically the midterm. Um, so you can get, you know, you can turn in a 1,000-word paper, which is roughly, like, three or four pages, um, and get basically 100 points out of it, or out of 100 points. So, you know, if you get, like, a C on the assignment, then it's a 75 out of 100, that sort of thing. Um, but if you want, you can do a longer paper on Homer. Um, you can use some outside sources, you can make it a little bit more robust, bring it up to like eight or nine pages, and at that point I'll give you 200 points for it, or 150 if you're hanging out around the middle. You can see the way that the, the scale works on the syllabus. Um, and that's the way that most of the big papers are going to work in here. Like, I will give you options for the size of the assignment that you turn in. So if you want to focus directly on Homer, this is a good option for you. If you want to show off your writing but do it in a fairly low-stakes environment, this is also a pretty good option. The big assignment here is the research paper. And it's going to be real difficult to get through this class without doing the research paper. Like, you're going to either have to do all the quizzes and all the discussion boards and the final really well in order to avoid the research paper. But honestly, that's way more work. You should probably just plan to do the research paper in here. Like, as much as all the assignments are optional, and that includes the research paper, it's going to be real, real tough to get a good grade in here without planning to do some form of the research paper. Um, but the research paper can also be the only assignment you do in here. It scales all the way up to 500 points. So you can do the 100-point version of this research paper, and you can turn in basically 1,200 words with two class readings and two outside sources, and you will get, like, a decent score that will boost your score, you know, significantly for the purposes of this class. But you can also turn in, like, a 4,800-word paper, something approximating, like, 16 pages of writing, and you can get up to 400 points on this assignment, or you can even do a 6,000-word paper, roughly 20 pages, and get a complete 500 points for the, for the assignment. So that's why this is the only assignment that I'm going to accept late, 
That's why you can still pull off a decent grade in this class, even though I don't accept late assignments, even if you've only, like, started paying attention around, you know, mid-March or early April. Like, you can just do the research paper and be fine. And I want to emphasize this, because this is kind of the high road in this class. Um, the research paper is structured around one of four questions, all of which are really crucial to the study of Homer and the Trojan War. Namely, did it actually happen? Who was Homer? How was the Trojan War used for political ends by other cultures? And how has the style, story, and language of Homer's epics informed later epic writers like Milton, like Dante, like Virgil, etc.? Um, all of these questions are current in the like contemporary academic discourse. This is stuff that Homer scholars are talking about now. Um, and importantly, like, that's how knowledge happens in academia. Really smart people who have studied this stuff really carefully, like, get all their sources together, get all their research together, talk to one another, and come up with ideas. And if you do the 500-point version of this paper, like the 20-page version of this paper, I'm basically asking you to do that. To, like, participate in the discussion, to come up with your own ideas, reach your own conclusions, suggest a new interpretation for this stuff. You know, engage with all of the really smart people talking about this stuff and know this stuff cold. And that's honestly going to be a lot better for you than doing all the quizzes or participating in the discussion boards or doing the final exam, all of which kind of gets thrown out when this class gets thrown out. Like, once it gets taken off canvas, all that stuff is suddenly worthless. Sure, you learned the material and you proved it to me, but you don't have anything to show for it. Whereas, if you do a big version of the research paper, you get to leave with that. Like, you get to put that in a portfolio. When you do a master or an application for a master's degree at the classics department or a humanities department somewhere down the line, that stuff is what they want to see. And as far as I can tell, not a lot of professors seem keen to get their students to do this stuff. So, I want to give you the option. If you're serious about the humanities, if you want to, like, actually research this stuff, if you are really fascinated by our discussion and want to dig deeper than we've been able to go in this class, this is a great opportunity to do that. And it'll give you something that you can actually show off, that you might be able to publish, that you might be able to get, like, submitted to conferences or something. You could be an expert on this. And I want to give you that option. Because that's how academia works. So, you know, I don't recommend it for everyone. If you are just here for the grade, don't do the 500-point version of the research paper, for the love of God. But if you really want to try this, if you really want to, like, put together a robust, significant assignment, something that actually means something, something that could actually contribute to the discussion, take a stab at it. Like, send me an email, say, Professor, I'm thinking about doing the 500-point research paper. Can you give me any advice? Can you give me any topic suggestions? And I will totally be all over that. I love those papers. I absolutely want to read those papers. And it makes my life easier because I don't have to grade all the little fiddly stuff in the meantime. So, consider it. Think about doing the big assignment here. If, in fact, that's something that appeals to you or something that you're interested in doing. We also have the discussion boards, which, again, these are sort of nickel and dime assignments. There's going to be a couple of these every week. Um, but in, because, again, I know that they suck, I, I totally am aware of how awful and menial the discussion boards are. I am going to try and fix them this semester. Like, I've never really 
manage to make these things work, so I always try and, like, doctor them a little bit, but this time I'm going kind of overboard, and I'm changing it up pretty dramatically. Um, each week you can get a maximum of 15 points for the discussion boards. Um, there's going to be 14 of them total across the 14 weeks of this class. There may be changes to that. I'm sorry if that doesn't line up with the reality once I actually get this stuff written. Um, but in theory, that means that there's well over 200 points on the table for the discussion boards. But, here's the deal. First off, again, they're optional. If you don't want to do the discussion boards, don't. Like, if you think that this sounds awful, just ignore it. If you would rather do a really long research paper, you have my blessing. Don't pay any attention to the discussion boards. If you do want to do the discussion boards, please don't make it just an obligation. Don't just knock off, like, the three sentences you need to answer the question and call it a day. I realize that's what most of us will be doing, and I realize we're going to have that anyway in this class, whatever. But what I want to stress, and what I am going to reward in this class, is an actual conversation. So yeah, if I am posting two questions each week, all you get for answering one of them is a maximum of five points, depending on the quality of your answer. So if I ask, you know, do you think Achilles or Agamemnon is more right in their argument, and you respond, I think Achilles is more right because Agamemnon is a jerk, you're probably only going to get, like, two points. But, if somebody responds to you and says, why do you think that Agamemnon is a jerk, this is why I think that actually Achilles is the bigger jerk here, and gives you a detailed response, that's going to be worth out of five points as well. And we'll probably get a higher grade because it has more detail to it, more explanation of why this is the case. But, and here's the kicker, if you respond back to that person and give them, this is why I think that Achilles is the bigger jerk, or this is why I think Agamemnon is the bigger jerk, or actually I think you're making a good point, but here is some other thing that I want you to consider, that also will be worth five out of five points. Because every response that you do, every time that you substantively respond to one of the other students, you are being graded out of five the same way that you are when you make the initial post in the first place. But here's the real bonus. If this conversation gets big, if we have not just two or three students, but four or five weighing into this thread, going back and forth and engaging with each other substantively, everyone who is a major participant in that thread will automatically get the maximum 15 points for that week. That's the given. So that's the big reward here. So it is more to your interest as a student doing the discussion boards to get in on a pre-existing conversation and make it bigger and more robust than it is for you to start your own thread with some cheap throwaway response. That's how you get the big money on the discussion boards. So keep that in mind. Like, don't feel obligated to just knock off your answer and call it a day, though that is some guaranteed points in the bank. You will get just as many points for participating in a longer thread with a lot of components to it, and if you can bring more and more students into the group, that's even better. Now, that guaranteed 15 points isn't going to be for everyone who participates in a long thread. So if we have, like, five students participating in this thread, two of whom are writing paragraphs every time that they chime in, but one of whom has only written once and only, like, three lines, they're going to get the grade as though it were just a response, not the whole 15 points. But that's what I'm looking for. 
It's going to be subjective, I realize. There's going to be some debate had here. Sure, we can talk about exactly how that's going to work, if in fact it does or does not work, but that's the key. What I am looking for here is a conversation, not just checking the boxes and fulfilling the basic requirements for this assignment. You will get more points for responding to each other and engaging with this discussion than you will just, you know, knocking off a response. And again, let me emphasize, it's optional. So don't feel obligated to do it. In fact, probably the best solution is to not participate in a discussion until you already see some conversations happening. Like, you want the easy 15 points? Wait until you see some thread blowing up, and then jump in there and try and get your 15 points that way. Like, I don't know. Again, this system is designed to be gamed top to bottom. The discussion boards are especially designed to be gamed. I'm trying to incentivize stuff. We're going to see how it works. Um, but at any rate, yeah, there are discussion boards. You are welcome to not participate in them if you don't want to. You are welcome to participate in them if you do. I may very well chime in from time to time, though I generally tend to be pretty hands-off on the discussion boards. Um, but if it especially gets heated, feel free to request that I show up and participate as needed. Um, again, there are going to be different things going on here. We'll talk about it. But for the time being, what I'm looking for from the discussion boards is a legit conversation, not just a blow-off assignment that you're just trying to get through to call it a day. Get worked up in there. Make some arguments. Debate with each other. And feel free to game me. Like, if you've got, you know, three friends in this class who you know pretty well or who you meet through this process, and you, like, conspire to make a long thread so you can all get 15 points, you have my blessing. Go for it. Because the difference between we are, you know, organically creating a discussion thread that a lot of students are participating in, and we are contrivedly creating a discussion thread that students are participating in and therefore want to participate in, I don't see a difference here. Go for it. Like, everyone wins in this case. So go blame, game the system, you know, like, you have my blessing to mess with my head. Um, lastly, the final exam. There will, in fact, be one. It'll all come around at the end of the semester. We'll probably talk about it as we get closer to it. Um, I have not yet coordinated, like, this on, this exam as an online thing, um, but I know roughly what I'm going to do, so it shouldn't be that difficult. Um, we'll talk about it more as we get closer to it. So that's the class. Top to bottom, start to finish. All of the assignments, all of the requirements, all the books you need to read, all the stuff that I recommend. I know that this lecture has gone long at this point, and thank you for sticking with me as long as you have. Um, at any rate, if you do have any questions, if you do have any concerns, feel free to email me, feel free to message me on Canvas. Those are the most reliable ways to get in touch with me. Um, don't be a stranger. Like, again, I said it before, I'll say it again, talk to me. Um, it's going to be real easy to get disconnected from this class because I'm not looking over your shoulder. I'm not going to be keeping you honest. There are so many options in this class, but there are also there's also going to be a lot of incentive to do none of them and then get very screwed towards mid-April or you know May. Don't let that happen. Talk to me, engage with me, ask me questions, ask me about the class, ask me about the assignments like sketch to me your plan of getting all your points this semester or just talk like send me an email say professor i am how did you get into the classics in the first place or why do you like homer or any of that stuff have you played assassin's creed odyssey the answer is no i'm getting to it like it's a thing 
by all means, just open that door. Make a relationship. Make the effort. You will do better in this class as a consequence. I will feel more confident in your abilities as a consequence. Everyone will win here. Um, I realize that the online format sucks. And the best that we can all do is just be patient and understanding with one another. So don't try and snow me. Don't try and, like, trick me. Do not plagiarize in this class. I know the temptation is going to be there. Be honest with me. Be straightforward with me. And together we will make sure that this all works well for all of us. If you put in the effort, you'll do well in here. Um, I'll make sure of it. Um, so that said, I'm looking forward to this class. I hope you're looking forward to this class. Uh, for next week, our big reading assignment is we're going to read a decent summary of the entire Trojan War cycle as it's presented by Apollodorus in the Library of Apollodorus um, so we can get familiar with this story before we actually read the book. Um, we'll also be looking at uh, Matthew Clark's formulas, meter, and type scenes. So we'll be able to see what sort of stylistic components we're expecting from Lombardo, as well as having a conversation about how translation works and what you can expect from the Iliad as a translated text in the first place, as well as why I like Lombardo in the first place. Um, so again, for next week, get into that habit early, do the reading, read those two articles, the summary of the Trojan War and the formulas, meters, and type scenes, Listen to both of the lectures. I'll explain the Trojan War in detail, as well as what you should actually take away from that reading. And I'll talk about the stuff that Matthew Clark is talking about, as far as the translation of Homer and all that. Do the quiz for next week, and participate in the discussion board as you see fit. We'll be off to the races. Um, so, good luck to you. Again, contact me if you need any help. And I hope you enjoy this class as, as much as I've enjoyed putting it together.